The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the show today. It's very special, and it's the power of water. Earth's human mission, a healthier planet. I'm Sharon Kleina. Our show has been with World Talk Radio over three and a half years, and we are very proud to be with uh, Voice America World Talk Radio, and we since have been syndicated with Green Talk Network, Apple iTunes, and now we have a new family member uh, syndicated with CBS Radio. The Sharon Klein Hour Power of Water was decided year, uh, years ago now that we would also be a storyteller, a mission statement of what is happening to the most important critical problem, issue, and life survival for the planet and the solar system is Earth's water. Stop and think. Earth has water. Just stop and think about that. I bet a lot of people never have thought, why is it that out of all of the solar system, for some reason, we've only found water on Earth? It's life. Life. The Sharon Klein Hour Power of Water is the discovery for a healthier planet and it's the only radio talk show dedicated to life-threatening water wars and issues. And let's bring them to, let's bring them to, to the front. What is a water war? Hmm. That is interesting. People's lives are being lost all over the world. Yemen, Iraq, Pakistan, all over the world, uh, Kenya, because and India, uh, China, because of water. People, children are dying every day by the thousands of people. We talk about war uh, for our differences of outlook, but did you know that people are not having a gun against their head, excuse me, uh, at their chest, at their legs, or whatever, I should say? It's water, the water. They're dying. They don't have the water. So stop and think about how important this show can be for us to know that you can come and listen. The world is listening. Lives can be saved. The show's sponsor is Biologic Aqua Research Center, who's been studying for almost two decades about the importance of dehydration in human life, all life, and what we can do to solve those dehydration problems. But you've got to have the water. So stop, listen, and come and join us. The most special guest, the most special part of this show is the guests that take their time away from what they're doing in their busy lives and give us a classroom to learn. We've had Philippe Custeau, Professor uh, Kurt Worthrich, who got the Nobel Prize in 2002 for chemistry. We've had uh, PhDs from Africa. We've had individuals from Holland, England, around the world. We've had um, 
Dr. Effie Chow, who's a Ph.D. in understanding Chinese and Western medicine, to understand what dehydration of the body means from birth. You enter the air you breathe, and you begin to dehydrate from that moment on. Have you been learning enough about that? Let's hope that on the show you'll listen. Ask your friends, your family to join us. It's a very exciting show. We're also sponsoring a proud proud sponsor of Save a Child's Life Foundation. Put a child's heart in your hands. It was founded in 1997 to support the research and education of pediatric melanoma and because of dehydration and the skin, skin cancer could potentially be one of the worst diseases in the world. So let's stop and think about what we can do as an audience and in this classroom. Today we have a very exciting guest, Dr. Chuck Kennicutt, Ph.D. He's a professor of, professor of oceanography. He's at College Station, Texas. Today he is in, in New York, though. And he will be talking to us about the Antarctic research and climate change and a lot more. And I know we're going to try to talk him to coming on again. It's impossible for us to get in everything today of what he can teach us. What is the importance of the Antarctica to the rest of the world and to the solar system? We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed, the only method of application to, to supplement that surface of your eye. Did you know that the surface of your eye is 99% water? It is so critical to your eyesight. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed with Just a Mist. We'll be right back with Dr. Kennecutt. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Kennecutt, are you with us? Yes, I am, Sharon. Good morning. Well, thank you for joining us. And um, when I've gone through all that you've done and all that you could teach us in this classroom, I hope to, you will come back again someday. <laughs> sure, I'd be glad uh, to. Now, you wanted us to ta- uh, call you Chuck, and I'll tell the audience, we're going to call Dr. Honeycutt Chuck through the show. He's a Ph.D. professor of oceanography, and we have a lot to learn. But, Chuck, tell us about uh, 
how did you get involved in uh, oceanography? And then tell us how you uh, became part of the Antarctica study. Well, my original interest in uh, Antarctica began when I was actually an undergraduate uh, at the university. And uh, I took a class in essentially uh, global earth systems, and the ocean is a a major player uh, in that overall earth system. And it struck me that uh, in the years following, it would be very interesting and also uh, a possible career path to learn more about the oceans. Uh, Once involved with the oceans, uh, it becomes clear that the southern regions of the planet are also uh, a very important part of the oceanic system, and that led me ultimately to Antarctica. Oh, my, Antarctica. You know, um, what is the uh, influence of Antarctica on the planet Earth? Most people might think that Antarctica is very remote from their daily lives. Uh, It's so far away, and and many people uh, really know very little about Antarctica itself. Uh, But, in fact, the global system is is linked to all of the parts of it, and Antarctica is one of those parts. Uh, Also unknown to people, probably, is that most of the fresh water on the planet is encapsulated in the massive ice sheets in Antarctica. So what we like to say is that what happens in Antarctica actually affects your everyday life. And then also I'm going to ask you then, what would be the influence on the solar system coming from the planet Earth? Well, the original linkages of uh, everything that we see today on Earth do go back to the origins of the universe itself as the planets coalesced and uh, form the solar system as we know it today, certain planets began to degas material from the magma as they solidified. This then ultimately created the atmosphere that we see. Uh, Most planets are either too close to the sun, uh, and they have evaporated off most of their uh, atmosphere, or they're too far from the sun, and the atmosphere is uh, essentially frozen in time. The Earth is uh, in what I would call the sweet spot, uh, far enough from the sun to bask in its energy, uh, but also close enough so that liquid water uh, can exist on the planet. Now, that's why, uh, did you hear me say, the Earth, the planet Earth, has the water. And you know, Chuck, when we stop and think about it and just step out away from the Earth and think, oh my gosh, I just discovered Earth. It has the water. Uh, you can imagine uh, people take it too much for granted. And one of the reasons I wanted to have a radio talk show years ago when I was asked if I'd do a show, I said only if I could call it, say, Power of Water and Let's Study Together. You know, Chuck, it's the most critical part of our everyday lives. It's been t- terribly, t- it's been sadly taken for granted. Water. I think you're exactly right. The the presence of liquid water on our planet is what makes it what it is today. In fact, I'm sure most people have seen pictures from the satellites and uh, from uh, various space expeditions that show, in fact, it is a blue planet. More than 70% of the Earth is covered by water uh, in the oceans. And even though we think mostly about the land that we see around us, by far the most influential part of why planet Earth is the way it is and why life has evolved here is due to the presence of water. The corollary to that is obviously if uh, water becomes scarce or less available, uh, this can have dramatic impacts on the overall ecosystems and human 
uh, populations throughout and disease the and all the all the th- uh, you know we can we can formulate medication f- uh, until the last drop of water but that's the problem is you know i've said chuck when the moment you're born you entered in the air you breathe from that pocket of water and you begin a life to dehydration passing away not enough moisture in the body or will act a blade of grass it pa- the blade of grass doesn't make it unless it has water it becomes a desert sand uh, right. With Antarctica, what you're learning is how we can exist. I'm sure you can tell us, when you're studying in Antarctica, all the things you're learning. On it, and I was coming through some of the um, different descriptions in here where we had uh, descriptions such as, as, the history, as, the, as the history and research, but you also had uh, different descriptions of, 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 of its existence and what you've been learning in the ocean there, and and um, the different different topics of of uh, what are we going to learn with the Antarctic Treaty? The word treaty, um, I came along is uh, different descriptions of uh, when you mentioned some of the different glacier lakes and created canyons, and what's coming from um, the areas of Antarctica and the. And the and the polar uh, years and more. Uh, can you imagine what I just said? <laughs> and now uh, there's so much going on there, and that's why audience uh, li- listen to what uh, Professor Kennicott tells us today, because uh, we need to learn more why water should be our number one focus every day out of bed. Number two, we should also understand, Chuck, what we need to learn. What do you need in the research for uh, all the planet to give you what you need to study for us to have an eternity for the planet Earth? And you can learn that from that spot in Antarctica as much as they can down in Louisiana or, let's say, in Kenya or, let's say, in Holland. They've been studying water from so far long ago. What would you like to teach our classroom here today? What do you think is some of the most important things that people should take away today and realize how important the Antarctica, Antarctica is to their everyday living? Well, one of the uh, things that you quickly realize is that the uh, planet is a, a single system, and all of its parts uh, have effects on all the other parts. And so what we do uh, in areas even remote from Antarctica do have global impact. I think that's one of the things that uh, we have really learned in the last couple decades is that humans are having impact that communicates around the planet. And this is everything from the use of uh, DDT as a pesticide to now uh, global climate change. So, in fact, we're not isolated from uh, areas that might seem remote and uh, in many ways we're coupled with them very closely. Uh, Antarctica, uh, because of the coldness that perennially occurs there, is very, very important to the overall energy and um, water balance on the entire planet. Uh, It's often stated that Antarctica and also the Arctic serves in the same purpose as essentially the thermostat of the planet. And what we're witnessing today is loss of Arctic sea ice uh, in the summers in the north, and also diminishment of uh, the landed ice sheets and ice shelves in Antarctica, telling us that, in fact, uh, the planet is responding to the use of uh, fossil fuels and uh, that we have had and will continue to play a role in that change that we're seeing. 
Let's start back when you mentioned a water balance on the earth. What does that mean to you? Usually that's looking at the total distribution of water uh, on the entire planet. Uh, as I mentioned, about 90% of the fresh water on the planet is in the polar regions. This includes green, the Greenland ice sheet and also uh, Antarctic ice sheets. By far the majority of water, though, is in the oceans, uh, but that's salty water. And I'm sure, as most of your listeners know, uh, salt water is not very amenable uh, to human consumption. So, in fact, the biggest reservoirs of water uh, that are fresh are in these polar regions. Mm-hmm. They're stored there because it's cold, which means that it's there in the form of a solid in ice. Mm-hmm. And as the temperature uh, of the planet continues to warm, that ice will be melted into liquid, just as you see in your beverage when you add uh, ice cubes to it. This occurs mm-hmm. on a planetary scale. The outcome of that is that uh, sea levels will be expected to rise, and if continuing warming uh, goes on, uh, it's clear that uh, the overall face of the planet could be substantially changed in a matter of decades. Mm-hmm. Then when you mention the word um, thermostat, that's what you're talking about, the thermostat. If the thermostat of Earth begins to take a change, like it seems to be doing with climate change, we're calling it, it will begin to uh, melt the ice and then oceans will begin to rise. Exactly. And uh, because melting of ice takes energy, it's the energy from the atmosphere, which is derived from the warming uh, due to the greenhouse effect and the uh, inputs of uh, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the environment. Most of those um, unusual concentrations are due to human activities, such as cars and um, discharges and smokestack emissions from industry worldwide. This is uh, very quickly circulated around the entire planet and often described as uh, a blanket, and that just keeps more heat uh, close to the surface, which ultimately rises uh, the temperatures. And as the temperature rises... Yeah. That that energy is then uh, converted in some cases mm-hmm. of changing ice into water. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about freshwater's influence on that too, uh, because the freshwater on the surface of the Earth has been changing. Um, the rivers and the lakes, the streams are getting uh, smaller. Uh, would if we, if we had a plan with protecting our freshwater, would that help the thermostat at all? Uh, Freshwater overall is a fairly small percentage of water on the planet, but it's mm-hmm. a significant percentage because that's what we depend on for life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what happens as the temperature rises, um, there's also predictions that the uh, extremes in climate will uh, increase as well. And what that means is that we'll have certain areas that have uh, greater droughts or maybe areas that have more precipitation. But in, the gen- in general, the trend is expected to be toward more severe changes in climate. And I think we're already starting to see some of those with flooding in some areas and also uh, long extended droughts. You probably just saw the reports in Moscow with the uh, grass fires there and the the extremely high temperatures that they have encountered um, over uh, many, many weeks. And what this results in is evaporation of fresh water that may be in lakes and streams and uh, recirculation of that into the oceans, and and this begins to uh, deplete the freshwater supply. Okay, uh, we're going to have a moment with our sponsor, and we're going to be right back, and I'm going to ask you about that evaporation. I think that's something a lot of people are not understanding. 
that uh, our air to breathe must have fluid in it um, called humidity moisture. And we need a certain amount of evaporation, but what would be the severeness of an evaporation if, the fresh, if we lose any more of our fresh water? Uh, don't go in anywhere. Stay right there. I'm really liking what you're teaching us. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with Just a Mist, and we'll be right back with Dr. Cunnicutt. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Kennecutt, what I would like to ask you when we were talking about evaporation, a concern that I've had in studying for so many years and the doctors and individuals that I brought in, scientists, is that you must have moisture in the air to breathe. In other words, indoor conditions with forced air, heating and cooling, insulated windows and walls are an absolute pit of life. Uh, no, Really no moisture. But outdoors, we need that ecosystem of moisture. When you mentioned the evaporation of water, moisture, explain to us what you think is happening uh, because of the changes of the Antarctica, climate changes and more, and fresh water. And where is our greatest influence of moisture in the air? Does it come from the ocean or does it come from fresh water? The the greatest control on water in the air is the ocean, simply Mm -hmm. because uh, so much of the planet is covered by the oceans. And that's a very dynamic process. And in, in fact, the uh, the atmosphere and the oceans are very closely coupled. And there's weather in the oceans, just like we see weather uh, in the atmosphere. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, in the change from ice to water, uh, there's energy involved, which uh, is related to uh, increases in temperature. Uh, the other part of that equation is water. Then also can go to a gas, and that's just evaporation. If you put a pan of water on your stove, you'll very quickly see steam above it, and, uh, and the water will eventually evaporate. Now, the surface of the planet, as it warms in polar regions, because they're already so cold, generally the uh, change that we'll see is ice melting to water. But in more temperate climates, what we'll see is an effect of increased temperatures is actually water evaporating off of the surface. So uh, these types of effects as temperature increases uh, will be more and more concerned 
uh, not only in limiting uh, the amount of water available, but also where on the planet uh, the fresh water is, because a lot of it could be evaporated and uh, transferred into uh, the oceans. I've read reports where they say the Earth has the same amount of water as it always has. When you, when our, any of our listeners would have read that, what are they meaning? The Earth has the same amount of water that it's had from the beginning. I, I think in general that's probably true because most of the water that uh, is currently on our planet, uh, as we mentioned uh, early in our discussion, came from the original outgassing of the planet and then the condensation of that or turning into liquids uh, at the surface of the planet, which gives us the watery world that we know. And so that balance, though, is what we've been discussing. It's, it's whether the <clears throat> water is actually in the atmosphere, it's in the oceans, or it's tied up in the ice sheets. And the balance between those three is very critical to how uh, the overall planet uh, evolves over time and also supports life. So the total amount may be the same over very long periods of time, but that balance between ice, water, and vapor or gas uh, as humidity in the atmosphere changes significantly. And that's, that's really at the root of what we're talking about uh, with the current uh, human impact on global climate change. Are we changing that balance in a way that ultimately will be detrimental to living things on the planet? One of the reasons I asked about the fresh water is when we have different countries of the world that in time became deserts, sand, and they don't have fresh water on the surface in those areas, With, because their continents became uh, the desert and sand and those temperatures of co- climate change too, um, would that cause another evaporation well, that, that's because of time? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting question because, as, as we just discussed, this balance changes, which means certain parts of the planet at one time may be deserts, at one time may actually be under the ocean, and at another time uh, be very habitable by people. Uh, as more people have inhabited the planet, though, we've started to occupy more and more spaces uh, on Earth that are, say, let's say, at the margins of uh, where we can survive. Now, as climate changes, it is expected that uh, there will be a shift in these uh, patterns of where the, the driest places are and where the wettest places are. However, over uh, hundreds of years, we have essentially moved to the areas that are most habitable. And that's why, uh, say, for instance, in, in the U.S., the, the grain belt across the central part of the U.S., that's where most of our food is produced. Now, long-term changes in climate may make that less uh, usable for agriculture. And then the question is what happens to the populations that have been, become dependent on those locations. We've also, uh, in great masses, moved closer to the coastal environments. And, uh, in fact, about 50% of the population now lives within 50%, 50, within, I'm sorry, within 50 miles of the coast. These are also the areas that are subject to the most change as sea level rises. So uh, human populations, as we as they increase toward uh, what appears to be a topping off of maybe nine billion, there'll be many billions of people at risk as the planet changes. Uh, this is something else that maybe you can answer, and I'm just—I don't know how much study has been uh, has been accomplished with this question. But let's say uh, the first thing that came to my mind when you were talking, when people are moving on other parts of the planet, would that eventually, in long term, cause a shift in 
people not habitat, there's no habitat and where the deserts are at and people are moving, having to survive and move to another part of the planet, uh, whereas maybe there's not enough water for all those people, the shift of the balance of the planet, would there be any influence on the future of that long term if people keep moving away from desert conditions to other parts of the planet? Yeah, in fact, over over the history of uh, of human civilization, other other than religious wars, wars have usually been fought over natural resources, and certainly uh, as the population has increased, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we are uh, moving toward a total of nine billion people, um, and right now there's only six billion. So you can already see how this continuing increase in population will put greater and greater demand on all types of natural resources. At least our past history has been that those usually lead to some type of conflict, uh, and uh, and it's not uh, out of the uh, question that uh, as resources become um, more difficult to uh, to acquire and also more limited, that in fact this could lead to conflict. Um, people uh, again over history have oftentimes. Uh, uh, fought with their neighbors over things such as water or arable land or, or just land where, uh, where they can exist. Yeah, you know, uh, every week I mention the world population, Chuck, and the world population grew in one week, 1,463,847 people. We're up to this week, 6,864,201,000. 195 people just in one week. Well, so, um, when we stop and think about the balance uh, of, and, and this is something that is not uh, widely educated, but water wars started way back at, at almost at the beginning of time when people understood uh, if they didn't have enough water, they couldn't live. You're, you're uh, very correct in that observation, and um, it is interesting to me. It seemed 15 or 20 years ago world population was much more of a general public concern. I'm not quite sure why it's not so much in the public dialogue now, maybe simply because people don't know how to how to deal with uh, a check. We're going to change that with this radio show. <laughs> yeah. This is and, why uh, I decided uh, several years ago that if I was going to have a radio talk show, that I wanted to be in the classroom, this show, Power of Water, Earth's Human Mission, to be uh, the Earth Whisper. Leave a footprint. In other words, I mean the footprint means be immortal. Plan on the next generation and life to exist for eternity. But it has to start with water first. The environmental issue is only really water. I mean, first, if you can figure out the water and what you have to do to protect the water, then everything else becomes secondary. Uh, almost uh, everything we've discussed about uh, climate change, um, water resources, uh, potential conflict between people's changing climate, uh, all of these are underlain, though, by population growth. So um, right. we're more or less looking at the symptoms of um, what long-term occupation by people uh, are doing to the planet. And uh, you know, in the long run, I, I, we are uh, extremely adaptable, and I'm sure that there will be adaptations. And that's really the the burning question right now: is is world population going to be able to adapt uh, over time frames that uh, could be fairly short, decades, not you know hundreds of years or more? So 
So the adaptability question uh, is really central now to, to a lot of discussions about sustainability over the long term. Well, what you just said, maybe uh, what I came, I, I evaluated is the word called proactive. L- learn to be, let's get together on this planet and be more proactive about the future and learn what do we each need to do every day uh, about our own responsibilities, integrity, and thinking about what is uh, life on earth and, and save a life. Um, now let's go back to the ocean. We all go to the ocean, and I don't care who we are, a, a, a child, let's say a one-year-old goes to the ocean for the first time and stands on the sand. Here comes this ocean wave. The ocean wave is uh, is created by what, uh, Chuck? Uh, teach our audience, when you have the ocean come in and then the ocean goes out, what is that magic that is happening? Well, this is related to a, a topic we talked uh, about just a, a few minutes ago where I uh, was mentioning about the balance of energy on the planet and also the balance of uh, water between uh, the different types of uh, uh, phases that it occurs in. Uh, that's because the ocean and the atmosphere are very tightly coupled. And so the atmosphere, when you feel wind blowing uh, out in your front yard or if you're by the ocean, uh, that wind at some point has begun to move the water in the oceans. And so when uh, the winds at the surface uh, start to blow in one direction for a while, it'll start to make waves. So it's a transfer of energy from the wind into the actual liquid water. So slowly those waves will build, and if there's uh, increased winds, obviously the waves get larger, and generally waves continue in the ocean until they meet some object, and that object uh, is usually the shoreline. So there's energy built up in these waves, and as they come onto shore, uh, they start to come into... uh, contact with the bottom of the ocean and that's what causes the wave to break where it actually falls over itself and that's when you see uh, these large types of uh, waves that break and come in onto the shore. So what you're seeing when uh, waves uh, come up onto a beach is really the long-term interaction between the ocean and the atmosphere and how that has uh, physically started to to move water in one direction or another. Mm Now, when we're looking at the ocean, and uh, and thank you, that was wonderful. That was magnificent education right there. Now we're understanding the balance, and we're understanding the thermostat and the eco balancing. What we must think about when we're studying what, how vital water is to this surface, to this planet. When you're looking at the ocean and the life in the ocean, how you know people have you know we're listening to what happened in uh, Louisiana with the oric- with the oil spill, but what is happening out there in the oceans around the world, the planet Earth that is happening to the life? What is happening inside that ocean's life? Well, this sort of ties everything together that we've discussed so far. Uh, as as we started off and talked about that uh, the different components of the Earth are all linked in very uh, fundamental ways. Uh, that ultimately leads to the environment that allows life to be able to not only survive but thrive. And uh, as that environment changes, then you will see a response from living organisms. And that's one of the probably greatest concerns about the oceans these days is that, uh, again, humans are having major impact. As population increase, 
uh, as we're having changes in climate, as we've introduced chemicals such as pesticides and oil you just mentioned into the environment, uh, we are clearly seeing now that the, the former belief that the oceans were so vast that, that uh, the old story was the solution to pollution was dilution. Well, in fact, there's a, there is a finite uh, capacity of the oceans to continue uh, to take uh, insult from various human activities. And it's a combination of these activities. As I mentioned, it's everything from the introduction of chemicals uh, to overfishing of the fish stocks, uh, the, the warming of the ocean itself. The other effect that people may not realize is when the climate warms and the atmosphere is, is warmer, the ocean is also warmer. Uh, one of the outflows of this has been that coral reefs are showing stress worldwide, and it's thought that uh, much of this is due to increased uh, water temperatures in the oceans. And so all of these together are sort of this soup of um, effects that are related to uh, people utilizing various parts of uh, the planet to exist. And the greatest concern is that we will exceed the capacity of these systems to uh, be able to uh, respond to those type of changes. And at some point, um, the ecosystems themselves will begin to fail. Now, when you say ecosystems begin to fail, what is one of the things that you think that will be most noticeable uh, that would be that people uh, would notice that out there that when the ecosystem begins to fail? Is that the climate change? Uh, <clears throat> probably the most direct things that people will uh, begin to see uh, is one thing is that uh, as we change the natural environment, uh, we change the dynamic uh, between organisms and the physical environment around them. Uh, one of the issues that has come up in the last decade or so is what's called the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. This is where oxygen uh, that's necessary for life is actually being removed from the water uh, due to the uh, introduction of various types of chemicals like fertilizers. Uh, what this does is utilize uh, the oxygen so that the organisms like fish and other things that need oxygen uh, can no longer survive. In now, the I'm going to ask you real quickly about the fertilizers uh, because I have decided to add that to my studies, too, about some of this. Um, on, the, on the surface of our globe, we're finding there are certain fertilizers that are very, very common for all plant growth for our massive needs for nutrition. What is the fertilizer influence that you're finding? Well, the, uh, most of this is related to direct additions of certain chemicals to, um, to the agricultural land directly. And, and this has uh, been a, one of the reasons though why our agriculture has been so successful. Uh, most soils and uh, land areas, uh, once you start to grow crops on them, uh, will deplete certain essential nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus. And so over the years, uh, the response to that has been to artificially add nitrogen and phosphorus. Those are essential elements for growth. They're part of amino acids and, and other essential biochemicals of life. Uh, part of the outgrowth of that, though, is usually these were applied uh, rather helter-skelter. And as water, and we get back to the atmosphere and the oceans, and as water uh, has come down as precipitation, those uh, excess chemicals have been washed off the land into the uh, rivers or into the adjacent ocean. Those nutrients, just, uh, just as they improve the yields for crops, are also the essential nutrients that supply the ocean ecosystems. 
And so what you find out is, uh, just like with crops, you would you can end up creating a great proliferation of uh, of uh, organisms in the ocean that then lead to this depletion of oxygen. So it's all coupled. Again, this goes back to the fundamental case that even though it may seem remote, or what we do uh, in a single instance does not seem significant. It's the sum total of all the different activities that ultimately can lead to uh, very concerning types of changes. A tagline to show uh, Earth's human mission, and you just discussed a mission that must be studied, is what are we doing that maybe that each of us could take a responsibility to maybe not eating quite so much, Chuck? <laughs> but uh, I wanted to ask you before we're through today with uh, thank you so much for joining us. I, what I have learned, and I know the audience has learned, you were a, weren't you a guest with uh, CNN not long ago discussing what happened with the British Petroleum oil spill? Uh, yes. Uh, the group I've been involved with for a number of years was uh, one of the major laboratories in the response to the Exxon Valdez spill uh, more than uh, uh, 20 years ago now. And so our group has been involved in looking at the impacts of oil spills for, for 20 or 30 years. And so I've been called on a number of times, uh, obviously related to the, the latest spill in the Gulf of Mexico. What are you learning there, real quickly? Um, as, as I, you know, I need to let the world know, and you, uh, I'm, I believe that there was an accident, and, it do, and and we on Earth cause accidents. Whether you're driving your car or maybe you're something you didn't do, you knew better than doing, and there's an accident. They they immediately began to uh, do everything they could to pay the bill to try to get this sweeped up as fast as they humanly could. What are you finding is finally happening there now? Is it finally getting where they're going? It's going to be uh, cleaned up, ready. And here's how long will it take to get rid of so people can get back to their normal life? Well, uh, related to your, your first comment there, uh, the, it does seem that no matter what and how well prepared we are, almost any uh, types of activities where humans are involved in uh, ultimately do result in some type of accident. It's just a matter of when and, and how severe that accident is, and we see that in just about uh, every type of human activity. So I think you're correct that, that uh, this was unintentional, but it uh, did cause a, a major disruption in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, the current status, uh, since the well has been capped, which was most important, uh, at least oil is not continuing uh, to be released into the environment. However, there already has been a very large volume of oil uh, that's out there in the environment. Uh, despite our best efforts, we we really cannot recover much oil once it's released to the environment. And so even with all the uh, efforts at skimming and dispersants and other types of response, <coughs> Excuse me. The uh, the ultimate fate of that is still yet to be determined. Now, somebody mentioned, or I read a report, a lot of oil at the bottom of the ocean that will stay there. Uh, there is a uh, fair amount of uh, natural seepage in the Gulf of Mexico. And I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope you can come again one day. Okay. Thank you for joining us, and I you have a nice it. day. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. We just had Dr. Chuck Honeycutt. Ph.D. Professor of Oceanography, what a, a show. He was kind enough to stay on a little longer because I found him to be so full of information. We're going to take a moment with our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed. 
the only natural method of moisturizing. And we're going to come back with Art Bernstein, who's author uh, of his latest book, Easy Day Hikes. We'll be right back with uh, Art Bernstein. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Art, are you with us? I'm with you. And I really appreciate your uh, waiting for the uh, your, uh, to join us. Um, I was enjoying the first guest. Oh, Dr. Kennecott uh, gave the audience to the world one of the most magnificent overviews of why the power of water is Earth's human mission. And, yeah, it was um, incredible. Thank you for saying that. And yeah. um, I even took his voice away. He was with us so long. But, again, tell us about your book. You've written many books, and now you have one called Easy Day Hikes Within 90 Miles of Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, my publisher, which is Falcon Press and also in Globe Pequot in Connecticut, has this huge series of books. They're little tiny pocket books. Uh, they're called Best Easy Day Hikes. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing the one for Eugene, Oregon. Uh-huh. And I've been working on it. For now, the let's last back up. And the, those little pocket books are always the most fun gifts to give to another person. In other words, you can buy it for yourself. But if you want to buy a series of, of fun nature, uh, enjoying the Earth, thinking uh, is those pocketbooks. So you've written one now, uh, 90 miles out of Eugene, Oregon, and yeah. what's that area called? Uh, Eugene, Lane County, uh, Lane, L-A-N-E County. Uh, but the county that Eugene is in goes from the ocean over the coast ranges, across the Central Valley, and up into the crest of the High Cascades. So that's a lot of ground. So it's got lots of mountains. Very, very varied. Uh huh. And what is? I hope this is not too leading question. Some of the highest mountains in that region. How high are they? The highest mountain in Lane County is uh, the South Sister, which is ten thousand two hundred feet or something like that. My gosh, that's that's the reputation of Oregon. You just said. Yeah, and that's all. Now you said a lot of waterfalls, and all of us love to come hiking along, and then out of the blue is this magnificent magic call of a waterfall. 
So how many yeah. are there? How many waterfalls? Waterfalls, yeah. Did you? Oh my God, you thousands, able? thousands. Thousands. Thousands, yeah. Uh, it's because of that height of that mountain. So does the mountain get a lot of snow in the w- winter? The mountain gets a lot of snow in the winter. Uh, Eugene gets a lot of rain in the winter. The coast gets a lot of rain in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, Eugene can get very hot in the summer. Now, is that kind con- you know, I'm going to ask something. Is that not too, is that almost in a, a straight a line from uh, Port Orford, Oregon, where that, that's a rainforest? Uh I was in semi-rainforest this past weekend, and I was up in the Cascades on the McKenzie River. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the rainforest is the the coast, the the forest zone right right at the coast. Okay. There are some areas in the northern part of the state. Uh, well, that Port Orford area of Oregon. A year, and that's enough to make a rainforest. Yeah, that or- Port Orford area of Oregon. Do you know? Because it's all that you know. Because your past is also a master's degree in forestry and anthropology and more and write a lot of books, uh, the Port Orford area, how many inches of rain do they get there on the coast in Oregon? Uh, 100 to 400, depending on the season and depending yeah. on the area. Yeah. It's unbelievable. The Washington coast gets the most, but there's rainforest in Oregon. Yeah. So they're up, up in the Washington uh, shores, they get even more rain? Yeah, the further north you go. Uh-huh. Although... Uh, the area around Crescent City one year got 400 inches of rain. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's right on the, the California line, southern Oregon, far northern California. Mm-hmm. Now, is it, you've, you've studied for so long and been a natural uh, author, book, uh, author of natural hiking books and more. Uh, how common is that around the world, the, uh, the planet Earth? Is there uh, many places around the planet? that have that story of that much rain, or is that somewhat uncommon in, in parts of the world? Well, there's the entire Amazon basin. There's uh, the Central African jungles. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Parts of India. Fascinating. India has beautiful forests. But they're, they're having a lot of problem with water. Yeah, yeah. But, well... Uh, the, the problem with water is infrastructure and getting it to people. Uh, mm-hmm. They have plenty of rainfall. They have uh, wonderful rivers that come down from the Himalayas. But the problem is they have so many people and they just can't get water to all of them and they, they don't have, really have the infrastructure. You just answered something that is so fascinating for all of us to think about. Because we've known that people are dying in India and, and concerns of water and sanitation have been very alarming to the, to the world. And you just said it isn't because they don't have enough, possibly. They just didn't build the infrastructure to support their, their, their uh, country. Yeah. If Oregon had, uh, had 50 million people instead of 3 million people, all our wonderful water and waterfalls and free-flowing rivers, that would be a completely different story. We wouldn't have enough water for everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, and in India's very desert conditions, too. 
Uh, yeah, there's the the Gat Mountains, and there's the the Himalayas. The G A uh, G A T T or G H A T T. Um, that's sort of the backbone of India. Uh, they're sort of like the Appalachians, mm-hmm. but there's lots of forests and uh, lots of rivers. You know, um, it's also we're very talking hot. about India in that continent area and China is. There's some latest, their newest, again, reports that China is so polluted in the waters and the soil and and the challenges that they're going through with building the newest dams and that yeah. they may change a, a weight level even on the balance of the globe because of what they're going to try to do. Uh, uh, some of the descriptions there were fascinating. Um, um, what is your thinking on that? With all the, t- you, you know, you've been studying a long time, and you're you've been learning more about nature than the world out there. But for example, the weight of China's Three Gorges Reservoir will tilt the Earth's axis. I read that. Now, explain to us with your background what that description means. They're trying to get get. They're trying to provide a storage of water for their huge population. And I've only got one minute left. Yeah. What, do you, what is your thinking? What does that mean? Uh, change the weight of the axis? Uh, I don't know if it's true. Uh, apparently, it's a, a very deep reservoir and a very large reservoir, and uh, water weighs a lot. I don't know. I don't think it's true, and if it does, it. When they know. say deep, do you think they had to go down below the ground and not go between the canyons? Uh, you think they dug down in? No, I think it's just. Uh, it's a very large reservoir and a very deep reservoir. Okay. Uh, remember Lake Baikal? Um, it's not a very big lake, but it's a mile deep, and that mile it contains like uh, one quarter or something like that of all the fresh water in the whole world because it's so deep. Okay. Well, we're um, out of time, but I wanted to tell the world, you've got a new book out. Go look for Art Bernstein. Yeah, Art Bernstein uh, and Lynn Bernstein. S-T-E-I-N. His latest book is Easy Day Hikes, and I think that's going to be a winner, Art. I really do. I think Great. it's fun. And I know it's a spe- it would be special gifts coming up for the holidays. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Have a nice Pleasure day. to be here. Bye. Well, I want to thank you for listening. Do you realize today what we've been learning? And the power of water, Earth's human mission, and you must learn that When you live on this earth and you get up in the morning and you plant your feet, begin a day of excitement. Look out at the world from where you're at. Even if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. Think about, live away from your skin. Think about what what is here. You may have gotten up and there's a lot of pressure on you, lots of obstacles to solve, lots of things to do. But what you've got is a miracle called you. You are worth it. You are worth it. And what you do is learning how to take care of yourself and put something back into being immortal. You are important to all of us. You. Me. All of us. I want to thank you for listening. Embrace your life. Earth has a secret every precious moment. But Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave a footprint. To me, that means you are immortal. You are a special part of this. We are doing this together. 
I want to thank you for listening. There is a power of water, Earth's human mission. Have a nice day, and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 